Hey everyone, welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast, and I am so thrilled we have the head maven of Haven Creative, Jenny Buckholt, with us today. And so, Jenny, I'm going to throw this question to you before we get into all your accolades and all your accomplishments and all the stuff that we want to talk about today, but I, I want to set up the scenario in this way. So you are in Waxhaw, North Carolina. Yes. Far away from where you were in Los, Los Angeles, Angeles. <laughs> right? <laughs> but you're in your favorite restaurant some evening, and there are some people talking about you, but they don't know that you are in the booth right next to them, and so they're talking about you, unaware that you're right within earshot. What would you like to have them be saying about you? So since it's specific to Waxhaw, I would like to hear them say. <laughs> Oh, that's the girl that branded, you know, Waxhaw the Hall back then. Well, she really cares about community and branding and understands how to pull people together. She has a passion for branding. I think that would be uh, ideal. Love it. If they were, if you were in another city where it wasn't Waxhaw, what else would you like somebody to be saying about you that really knows you? I'd like to hear again that um, <clears throat> creativity and passion for creating brands and creating community would come out of that somewhere. But also I think it's fun to hear when people say, you always make me laugh. I have a good time mm. when I'm with you. I love how you know you pull people together and you're able to create teams that, that do creative projects. So it would be neat to hear that from someone else. I love that. So we are gonna step back a little bit and I have gotten better and better of shortening this because when I started listing accolades it would take me two minutes at first. So <laughs> we're gonna, nobody cares as much about that. They wanna hear what you have to say. So we, you already mentioned, uh, Gary, uh, Jenny, you founded Haven Creative, which is a multimedia marketing agency about what, seven and a half years ago, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And you've been in marketing production design for over 17 years. So you've, you've done this for a little bit. Yes. Um, and you're also a marketing and communications consultant in a couple different avenues. So we'll, we'll dive into a little bit. So first off, I really appreciate you being on. I'm excited for the conversation. I want to start with Haven Creative and what, what Haven Creative really was, and then we'll get into why you actually started it. Right. <laughs> what was it? It was me and a laptop in 2012, not wanting to work for anyone else again. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've to, never heard somebody say that before. So yeah, <laughs> I never ever intended to grow a business. That wasn't my, my original thought at all. I uh, moved here from Los Angeles with my husband for his job and where I, we had come from, I was sort of the breadwinner, I guess, if you would say. And um, we had an opportunity for him to pursue his passion. And I had a three-year-old at the time and we relocated to the Charlotte area. And I specifically picked Waxall because of the small, quaint community and this historic charm to it. And I thought, you know, if I could just work from home and be with my three-year-old, I'm happy. And that's mm -hmm. really what has always driven me. It's never been about money. It's been about the pursuit of a lifestyle and happiness. Yep. Um, so what I did is I took out a loan for my laptop and I thought, oh my God, this is $1,200. How am I ever gonna pay this off? <laughs> okay, I just need a client to pay that bill. And that was my first KPI, my, my key performance wow. indicator if we had quarterly goals was, to, was that. <laughs> then it became, okay, um, making Lego forts uh, all day long is a little <laughs> bit boring. I love my son, but maybe if I could just make enough to send him to preschool for a little bit, that, that'd be great. So that became my next thing. Uh, and then as I started getting traction and clients that believed in what I was doing and the company started to grow and then I had my first mentor 
then I thought, oh my gosh, I can actually grow this business. I can make it an agency. So it wasn't until about 2015, which was three years in, that mm -hmm. I decided to really scale it. Yeah. And so from then, we just started getting traction. So right. yeah. Talk about that shift a little bit, right? From being the, the one person with a laptop and building Legos all day to actually saying, let's, <laughs> let's make this a, an right. agency. Right. So obviously you had to get over that, the mental aspect of it of, okay, I'm consciously gonna make this pivot. Um, but how did you then take those first steps? Because a lot of entrepreneurs turn into solopreneurs, right? Because they start something themselves and get stuck in that and never know how to take the next step. So I'm glad you brought that up. I want to clarify. I don't know that you ever get over that thought of whether right. or not you should scale. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe when you start a business as a lifestyle business and you want to feed your lifestyle and have the balance of both, it's tricky to then make the commitment to go, okay, I'm going to scale it. I'm going to throw myself all in and like you said, the, the flip of being outside the business working on it versus yeah. working in it is a huge step that you have to take in order mm -hmm. to scale, but it's hard to overcome that thought because you enjoy doing or you wanna right. be your, have your hands in it and maybe you're not the best at delegating tasks and making sure they're done the way that you do them, but if you don't consciously step out and work on it, you'll never grow. Um, and I still struggle with wanting to get back in and do yeah. you know mm, yeah. so i don't know if you ever always overcome that that mm -hmm. thing but well and it's a completely different skill right mm -hmm. doing something yourself especially with you on the the creative side compared to being outside the business and actually running it and delegating those are very different skills so Absolutely. how did you how do you overcome that because oh yeah it, you're obviously extremely creative so how do you then go into the delegating phase great question so i think the first thing I had was a mentor that set it up where I saw that you can grow a business. I mean, I think for me, I always thought entrepreneurs had to have some Harvard degree or had to grow up with money or had to have this, uh, honestly had to be a white male in a lot of cases. I mean, I hate mm -hmm. to you know, say that, but it, it just felt like that. That's what was around me and that's kind of what I knew and what I saw. But when I started seeing other people grow businesses because they put a process and a plan in place, and I thought, wait, I can do that too. I mean, I think from the time I was a child, I've kind of always told myself I'm done with, done with math. Oh, you can't, you don't, you're not smart, you don't know how to do that. So I had to first overcome my own story and head trash, yeah. two, see that it was possible, and three, put a plan in place and, and do it. So for me, it became annual plans, quarterly planning sessions, and then I joined the Entrepreneur Organization Accelerator Program two years ago. And that for me, like completely skyrocketed from going to a certain amount. We grew 125% in the first year and then 50% the year, the year after because of that annual planning, quarterly goals, accountability groups. Yep. Well, one of the things that I love about people like you is you're coachable. You know, not everybody is, mm -hmm. but that was the one of the first things that I saw in you when I first met you. And, um, you, you talked about having a mentor. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship and how uh, having a, a business mentor has helped kind of shift things in your own mind? Absolutely. And, it, and it's, it's interesting because there are, there are mentors in every area of our lives, right? And I always hope to have one either spiritually, physically, you know, the coach, the one that's helping you work out uh, mentally, wherever you can. And I have several mentors around me that help kind of guide me and shape me. And They've been so influential in the sense of being an entrepreneur is such a lonely life sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, you feel like people don't understand your problems or issues. And I find that coaches that have been there before, scaled companies, mm -hmm. um, can help me get through those hurdles, um, but help 
again, when you're not able to step out of your business, see the bigger picture and help you with the strategic planning and sometimes tell you what you already know that you need to do. Um, but one thing I, I would note on that is you get all this influence around you. I, like I said, I have four or five strong mentors, but at the end of the day, that cliche, you have to make the right decision for what's right for your business. And that's a new lesson I've learned where I go, okay, I take all this input in, but now it's ultimately my choice about what I do and how I shape my company moving forward. But that's the most amazing thing about being an entrepreneur, right? Like it's just a crazy amorphous <laughs> blob and you get to shape it and mold it and build the business that you want to be in. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Um, <clears throat> you, you, I want to talk about culture too because every time that's that huge. we have ever talked about culture, like you light up like like the whole room lights up. So important. It's just so right. wonderful, and yeah. I get I totally uh, yeah. uh, appreciate that. But you bring f like fun as part of the thing, and a lot of Absolutely. people don't understand. Hey, business should actually be fun. I think. Absolutely. Right? Why go to work if you can't have fun? But see, here's the trick to culture. So I'll touch on this quickly as core values. You can have a culture that's actually living in your organization and it's a culture that performs and it's a culture that takes care of projects and the people that are there in the business, or you can have a set of core values that are slapped on your wall or on t-shirts and mm -hmm. it's really not living in there. And I think what happens in a corporate America oftentimes is you have a consultant come in and give you these core values and they roll it out to the people. But culture has to organically live and breathe in that organization and kind of bubble up to the top sometimes. I, of course, leadership has to buy into it. But the culture, everybody has a culture, right? It's already yep. there. But it's is it a positive one or is yeah. it a negative one? And is it one that celebrates teamwork and each other? Is it a culture that really does have fun or is it literally just stamped on your wall? Yeah. Um, and so I believe we have a culture that's living and breathing. So how did you how did you put that into play? Because you're right, everybody has a culture and if you weren't going and actually creating these, these core values, and in your first core value on your website, there's an asterisk underneath that talks about having fun, right? Yes. And, and so how did that get created with, within your business and your team? My team did it together. So we, we got together and brainstormed and it wasn't something that I just put down. What we did is we started to think about the characteristics of leaders that we admired. Um, and what were those qualities that we loved about them, uh, whether it was integrity, honesty, those kind of things. And then we just kind of threw them all up on a wall. And then we started grouping together. And I'll be honest, I'm, I did not realize that fun was part of that. So mm -hmm. on our, the sticky board, there were 16 responses that said fun. <laughs> and I didn't realize it was alive and well in our organization as much as it came out on mm -hmm. paper. And so we were like, oh my gosh, that has to be a core value. Right. And then we really started to have fun, right, with that value. So we're snarky, we're silly, we're smart assy, you know, we, we have fun, we have fun. <laughs> and we have ridiculous cliches on everything that we put out. It's, you know, on all of our marketing materials and you'll see it on our website, me standing on a table while the girls are drinking beers. <laughs> we have fun. Well, I wanna uh, kind of dovetail into that real quick. So when I first met you, is because you have a mentor who happens to be one of our clients. And so, right? Yep. And um, we started, like we just hit it off right away about culture and some of our own like similarities in our own backgrounds. Um, and when I walked you through the offices up here and I told you about all the balloons that were in my office and how that started, oh, yeah. where they filled my office on my first day with balloons. And I'm like, hey, this is awesome. <laughs> and then we created a, a kind of a, a, a ritual where anytime we would bring in a new client, we would do a balloon popping ceremony with the team that would do it. You were the first one 
when when you just said decided yeah i'm going to be a client of bgw you said but here's the deal you cannot pop those balloons without yep. me yep. i want to be part of it so you started a whole new yeah. level of tradition which is not everybody wants to do it but we make it as an option right now and there are those that like yeah i want to be in on it but it, that was just so much fun well i want to tell you why i did that so I'm a firm believer that you have to pull your clients and your your vendors into your culture because they're mm. all part of your team. And it's one of the things that we have as Making Mavens. But I'll promise you, it didn't come from me. It came from my first mentor, Bill Higgs, uh, in business. Oh, yeah. And he was always like t saying, part of culture is you got to pull in your clients and your vendors. And so we do that all the time. So our, our print companies that we, we partner with as our vendors, our clients, Pull them in. You got to pull them into your culture. It creates stronger teams, and you're more effective together. When they, at that point too, you're on the same side of the table. It's not like client vendor. It's we're on the same side. Talk talk a little bit about Bill Higgs too, because the first time I ever met him was at an event here. He talked about his book and about mm -hmm. culture. He made an amazing company. Tell us a little bit about that and how you got connected to him. Okay, so backing up, his son, Greg Higgs, owns Fab Fours. My husband was a director of marketing there, he's currently today. And Bill just needed a graphic designer. So I showed up at Bill's house one day, and, he, and we sat down and started talking about his book. And he's like, I need to take this 700 pages and turn it into a book. So we sat down oh, together, wow. and I helped him pull that together into a 350-page book. And some would argue that's still pretty long, but he has a new book out, too, that's even better than the first one. Hmm. Um, but we've just... I partnered with him to help him create graphics and branding and so forth. And I learned so much from him about culture. Like you said, he started a business from zero and went to a billion, a B, billion. Uh, and then it continued to grow after that. And it was known around the world for one of the strongest cultures. And they routinely beat out competitors because of the culture they created. And they had lower turnover. Um, and they were able to re you know, retain all their employees, and it was really because of that culture. Can you tell the listeners the name of that book so that they could look it up on Amazon? Sure. The current book is Culture Code Champions. And what was the original one? Wasn't it, was it Mustang something? I don't remember. The first one was Mustang the Story. Yes. Yes. Mustang the Story. That is an... I mean, you may be critical because you edited it down or help whatever, but I thought it was a fantastic book. And that, that guy is an amazing human being. Mm -hmm. I mean, just an amazing human being. You wouldn't necessarily associiate an engineer. Right, right. Yeah, right? definitely, definitely. Stereotypical. But and that's he's a gung-ho ranger. And you go, yes. think about that is that in the Army and in <clears throat> law enforcement even, they are all about building teams and having each other's back. And so he, he always talks about that in the civilian world. How can you take that tight teaming mentality and put it into that? But even more importantly, how do you put that into business? Because you often think that you can't have this kind of fun, gung-ho team environment in business, but you can, and you see it, and it works. So you had mentioned a few minutes ago about bringing clients into the, the culture and the experience. How do you do it with your business? How do you bring the clients in? What does that look like? Well, initially, so we have this box. In fact, we're just finally branding it and sending it out. And it says, it's about to get teal. Now, I wanted to say, you know, SH, about to get teal, but I can't say that all the time, right? Maybe, maybe that doesn't, that might offend Depends some of our, our, our government contacts, yes. <laughs> but you open the box and you're going to get, you know, the tumbler and the lunchbox and, the, and the, all the swag that really is showing us that you're part of our team. 
Um, but more importantly than giving that to our client, we also give that to every person that starts at our company on day one. So okay. they're all that swag that you would normally just give to clients, we give mm. to all of our team members first. Um, but then we also invite them into our lunch events and things that we're doing to celebrate uh, milestones or to celebrate projects. Like you said, if we're going to do a balloon popping ceremony, we would pull, pull them into those kind of things. Yeah. So we were talking prior to the, the podcast starting today of Jesse Cole's episode. And one of the things that we hit on there was uh, your employees, your team members are your biggest fans. Yeah. And you're naturally doing that, right? You're you're valuing them. You're not just giving things to clients and people that are coming in, but you're showing that day one when you show up and you're working for this business, you, you're you're our priority, right? We're gonna Absolutely. take care of you. Absolutely, and and that's again something else I've learned. You know, by <clears throat> taking care of your people because they'll end up ultimately take care of your clients and. Mm-hmm. When they are pulled in on day one, and on, and I also like to think they're billable on day one because we have a culture that not takes care of people, but also really performs. Um, because we're a tight team, we're able to ask each other questions, also part of our core value, to not be afraid to speak up and ask when you have a question or want help on something. Um, but they're so much part of that team right away on day one. And we, we do uh, operating uh, have an operating system traction, right? So on, yeah. on Mondays, we have our level 10 meeting. and. Typically, a new hire might start after those, I've heard from people, but we throw our new hires in right away to that level 10. So they're okay. hearing projects from day one and how can they be a part of it and start um, learning how to jump in. And was that something that you tried to implement right away when you started having employees or, and I'm assuming not, right? Because nobody has no, that type of No, my gosh, my first employee right? worked in my house, right. out of my office. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's what I was, <laughs> that's I That's so funny is if you ask Kristen, and I love it today, she's like, oh, this is so amazing to see how we've grown. And we always say we, you know, she's like, mm. we were working out of your, your house in the corner and I would feed her lunch while my kids are still, you know, just getting home from school. And I love that she, you know, stuck it out with me and helped me grow. And in a lot of ways, she's the reason we have grown too, because she's the one that found our first office and pushed us <laughs> to, <laughs> to get, get out, out of my house. house. <laughs> so it's great because she's been instrumental in pulling each person into the culture as they come in. Um, and it's it's taken on a life of mm-hmm. its own, I guess. Yeah. And have you seen, as you start to implement these things of, of getting them involved right away, taking care of them, valuing them, uh, lower turnover, more loyalty, bigger buy-in oh, culture. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, what is, absolutely. Do you have any either stories or lessons behind that of either mistakes that you'd made along the way or just realizations as you were putting th- new new processes into the into your system? Yeah, and I would say as soon as we actually had core values, I was able to define who I wanted on my team and who didn't mm, fit on my team. Yep. And I would say I learned a lot after I defined those values that I had a couple of people that maybe were part-time for me that just did not fit our culture. Yep. Um, and one very important core value we have is about being brave. And when you're in a creative agency, you have to be brave to speak up and share your creative opinions and ideas. So a person that shoots someone down or I quote unquote Debbie Downer isn't going to fit in our team. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it helped really define who should be on the team and who shouldn't be on the team. And ever since establishing those core values and having that team, I've had zero turnover. Wow. Um, and I think that right there to your bottom line, most companies have 28%. So if you yeah. think about that in the terms of investing in your culture because you're avoiding turnover, it's huge. Yeah, a little less stressful also. Absolutely, you don't, you don't and think about how many fun. times you have to rehire, retrain, yeah. and get used to a project. So yeah. 
When you have a tight culture and a tight team, your processes get better. You know how things work. You can finish each other's sentences. You mm -hmm. become running like this well-oiled machine that can do more projects, take care of more clients, and then I'm ultimately beating out my competition because we're more profitable. Mm -hmm. So You've used the word processes a lot, and, and I have also kind of piggybacking off of you. You're very purposeful. In, in how you go about things in your business. So one of your processes that was, if people just go to the website, they get okay. to see it, right? right? Uh, so you can see how important it is and also how much thought has gone into it is the eight to great Maven method. Mm -hmm. So can you take the listeners through that a little bit of, of what that is first and then we'll yes. go from there? Absolutely. I'll start by saying the eight. So um, just to give you a little background, we have eight dots in our logo, which represent that eight steps in that. But why eight, right? Everyone's always like five, seven, whatever. So I'm gonna mm -hmm. tell you a story real quick about the eight. I'm a weirdo when it comes to numbers, but <laughs> my um, my grandfather was a ham radio operator in World War II and he they would say 88 to sign off, which meant hugs and kisses. And my mm -hmm. grandfather passed in his 90s, um, but he before that he was texting me, 89, 90 years old, and he would write 88 in every text. And so it became this thing where um, it was an important part of the eight and the 88 being a part of my brand. Um, mm. And so when I did my, I had my logo for years and I was designing it and realized, wait a second, the hex color, and if you know logos, there's always a hex color, which is the color used on the web, was 88 DBDF. My grandfather's name was Dean Fiery and my son's Dean Bucolt. So it was really oh, cool, cool that it was 88 DBDF. So everything we do has eights in it from now on. Yeah. So we, here we go. So we have eight so dots. You didn't want an 88 step method. Oh gosh, yeah, right. Very good point. No, that was a little long. And then, so coming from the branding background, I'm like, if you name it, you can own it, right? So our process, I would truthfully say, is probably not very different from most agencies, but we have refined it and improved it over the years. So that's why we have those eight steps in place, but it also keeps us accountable, keeps our clients informed of how we move through each step. And um, like I would speak to our mistakes in the past, we know what we do well and we know how to improve and each time we do it, we refine it even more. So the Maven method is really our eight steps to branding, um, specifically for branding communities, but also in any organization that goes through a brand or a rebrand. Yeah. One of the things that I love about your um, intentionality and your braveness, if you will, is um, having come from the agency background early in my career a lot of agencies try to be all things to all people because they're afraid that they're going to miss out or you know it's kind of a scarcity mentality and the world has changed a lot etc but you've gotten very narrow in your focus yes I'll which let you know i think if that's is, a good idea no. <laughs> well i think it's brilliant actually yeah, okay. because i want you to talk a little bit about your focus and i also want to have you talk about a, a recent win that was up in the Northeast. Okay. And who, like the kind of people that you're competing against. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that narrow focus is really interesting. And I think for anybody listening out there, it's very counterintuitive a lot of times, but it's almost like a Venturi tube. The more narrow that you can get, the faster you'll accelerate through the tube. So talk to us about, about that. So about two years ago, um, it was very scary for me in, in learning through my accountability groups, you know, what is what makes us unique, what what differentiates us. And I realized my core, my why, which I know we touched on a little bit, but is about creating communities and pulling people together to create strong teams and it creates better living environments for people. It just it creates a better life overall when you mm. can, you know, have a tight team in a community. So 
I realized that my passion was in community branding. And what does that look like? Well, in a literal sense, it's branding for towns, counties, and development projects. And since we had already had a couple of those clients under our belt, I made that decision to become a community branding agency. And I do remember the first time I came to my team, I said, that's it, we're just doing community branding. And they looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> and they're like, but what about, but what about this? Mm-hmm. But what about that? And we struggled through, I think, probably six months going, well, do we take that client on? But this isn't a community. And like, how rigid should we be about that? And I would say it, it, it also, like core values, helped us weed out the clients that weren't the best fit for us. And then it helped us truly focus on what we are best at. And you're right. There are a lot of agencies out there that say they do everything. They're experts at everything. And I would be the first one if you sat down with me and I say, no, I'm not an expert at SEO. We're not an expert at this. We will tell you who those experts are in our industry and we often mm-hmm. partner with them. We'll pull them in on projects and get work done. But we are experts at branding and telling stories. And we do that through the Maven method. And like I said, we do that for communities. So Town of Matthews, Town of Waxhaw, Weddington, Union County, uh, City of Hickory, and our most recent success, like you said, is a, a new town, Connecticut. Interesting. Can you talk a little bit about even what that process was like and the kind of people that you were up against and what that was like to win it? It was pretty incredible for us because it was our first RFP, you know, request for proposal. And in the public sector, you have to usually go about that very public process. It was also amazing for us because we did not know a single soul inside the town of Newtown. And usually we'll have someone that's maybe worked with us in the past or knows our process or, you know, knows something about us. So this was a very first win for us where we had no connection at all. Um, aside from me having a friend that lives in Newtown, but she had no connection to the town. Um, Mm. So we we responded to this RFP, and it was in July last year, and we were up against, I think it was 15 other agencies, and we just kept checking in with them throughout the time, you know, when they, how's it going, you know, trying to wait and see what happens, Um, and we finally narrowed it down to five agencies, and they asked us to fly up there. Now, as a bootstrapped entrepreneur, I'm terrified because I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, should I fly up there? That's my own money. Like, this is going to be expensive. Um, but what if we don't even get it? Uh, you know, you, mm-hmm. you think about all those things. And there was a moment where I was like, oh, forget it. I'm not even going to bother. They're probably not going to pick us anyway. I'm, <laughs> I don't, you know, whatever. You, all the head trash again. But as a team, which is really cool, um, we all pulled together in the office and um, got the presentation together. Another, again, when you talk about culture, it was, it was so fun to work on this project together. So even if we didn't get it, we were all on board and mm. blood, sweat, and tears building this RFP response together. And we're getting the folders together and our stickers and we decided that we were going to give a snack (laughs) when we presented which would stand out because it's based on our mission and i flew up there and did the presentation and it wasn't until four months later that i found out we won it so it was quite a long process but we did win and i i believe and she said you know when they gave us the offer letter that we stood out because we had a vision and we came so well prepared. And I had walked around that community and I talked to the people in the businesses, I had talked to the uh, newspaper and tried to get their story and really understand what they were about. And I used that in my presentation because I really took the time and effort to get to know them. And that's what she said. She's like, you got to Hmm. know us without knowing us. And the fact that we put in all that, the visionary planning and saw the whole ball of wax, it wasn't just, here's a website, here's a logo. You know, how does it all connect? I love that, too, because for anybody listening, Waxhaw, North Carolina, isn't necessarily, 
you know, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, or even Charlotte. It's a suburb of Charlotte. Right. And it's a quaint little village in town, quite frankly. But the, you know, the story for me is it doesn't really matter where you are. Um, if you are good at what you do and you are willing to invest in yourself and your team is willing to go for it, yeah, there was risk. I mean, mm -hmm. you were uh, one out of 15 initially. And it is hard when it's like conviction versus preference gets really down to when it starts costing you something. Yes, yes, it's scary because you're it's, yeah, it's terrifying. Your name in there, right? But I'm really proud of you, and I remember when you. I called you. Yes, I know, and it's funny because I will tell you, most people to this day say, "Oh, RFPs don't even bother. They're such a waste of time and money. Like, don't do it. Don't do it." And that being our first one, and we won it, gave us a lot of momentum. So since then, we've applied for several more. <laughs> so we'll see. But you're right. Now we're getting opportunities because we're known as community branding agencies. Those opportunities are coming to us. We're not, you know, necessarily searching for them. Was that a conscious decision to go into that RFP, uh, yes. especially when everything else was was so local, right? You you go Absolutely. from one spot to the next. You're going to be able to drive to the next town and no, meet with yeah. them. Yeah, that's so, a, yeah. It was conscious, and it was because of my annual vision planning, where I said, okay, I want 40% of our business to be outside the state of North Carolina. Um, like you mentioned earlier, one of my mentors, Steve Starr, he does restaurant branding, and a lot of his work is across the country, and so he really pushed me to think outside mm -hmm. of my local box and go, what other communities are like Waxhaw that need this kind of branding? And I'll tell you, that is definitely one of a mission of mine. And we got called by a city out in Illinois. And when I hear these people on the phone and what they, they want this economic development for their community and they don't want their communities to die out. And I get so compelled to want to help because I want to protect and preserve what makes that community unique, but give it a brand and identity that will attract the business and the visitors or residents that they need to grow and sustain themselves. So that's my purpose. This is going to be more on the personal end, but where does that come from? The desire to, to preserve <laughs> communities like that? I, you know, I don't really know. <laughs> I guess, I mean, I, I've always been just want to help people as much as and, and people often tell me you're running a business not a charity I'm like I know you're right I know. <laughs> but I, I guess um, probably coming from a small town I mean I, you know you'd say Annapolis isn't really a small town but Edgewater outside of Annapolis was very much a quaint small um, you know crabbing fishing area and then growing up in Annapolis Maryland was very unique in area and the historic elements and I just loved it and then I went to college in the Baltimore area which also had this fantastic little downtown of arts and entertainment mm -hmm. and food and so I guess seeing those amazing little nucleuses of an of an area that celebrates local economy and businesses and restaurants and it's known for something I've I just have always enjoyed those places and um, I feel like when you get too many big box chains and maybe you lose that personality of a place it doesn't feel special anymore and it looks like everywhere else and if you can Kind of preserve and protect what makes that area unique then you can celebrate its uniqueness and yeah. you can attract people just to visit that spot yeah no i love it i was just curious because yeah, you had said it at the beginning i say you said it a lot i know I and i think it. i just also like pulling people together like i said creating community you know if you can make something special and pull people together you can create this really fun place for people to live and work yeah. and play as a guy living in charlotte north carolina and, um, and quite frankly, I hadn't spent much time in Waxhaw before I met you, quite frankly. We'd been down there when my son, my youngest son was gonna get married and they were getting married outside in that area. 
Um, and I was like, oh, well, this is pretty cool. And then I became more interested after getting to know you and what you're doing and starting to see the ramifications of what your work for the town of Waxhaw, North Carolina has been. But I also know that a, a little bit about that story that there's more than meets the eye, right? And so would you be willing to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly um, in that process even? In the process of working with the town? <clears throat> yeah. All right, we're gonna get real now, huh? <laughs> we gave you a half hour until. Oh my gosh, here. okay, hold on. <sighs> this is a, so I'm gonna tie this into a core value because I think it's important since we talked about it. So one of our core values is to be brave, which is an honor to Brene Brown, I'll say. Um, mm. And it's about being vulnerable and being able to you know, really truly be brave. Uh, and share. So I'm going to say that this is going to take bravery <laughs> for me to share this story because a lot of times I don't want to talk about it. And my team's like, you got to talk about it. You got to talk about it. So 2015, I was hired by the town to rebrand. Uh, at the time it was just, you know, we need a tagline. And I was like, okay, let's, let's make it a social media contest and it'll be fun. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We have this new board. We're going to go about it this way. And so I kind of got thrown into their process and learned a lot along the way, I'll say. And we did quite a bit of surveys and storytelling and tried to figure out what would make Waxall unique. And from it came a rebrand campaign that launched in 2016 called The Hall. And it was Life Happens in The Hall. So Waxall, abbreviated, right, is The Hall. It was on the local restaurant's wall, the wall of Hall. It was a brewer at the um, Dream Chasers Brewery had The Hall Brew. It was on the fire department's hats that said the hall. They'd been saying this term for years. I mean, you could look back in all the mm. you know social media groups. It was the hall, the hall, whatever. So we didn't actually come up with a term, but what we did, which we thought was creative, is we made it an acronym, and it actually stands for Heritage, Activities, and Well-Being. And the idea that those were the brand pillars, the things that we really wanted to protect and preserve as a town, the town, town heritage, all the events and things that, of activities, and the well-being being that we wanted green spaces, mm -hmm. we wanted parks, and we wanted to remain the safest city in North Carolina. To us, that was well-being. Now, if you have those three things, that means whatever projects come to your board either have to look like our heritage, so we can still grow, but how can those developers keep that branding and, and keep the heritage and look, which we did with some of the projects that have come into town. It means we would invest in activities and continue to put you know, money towards our event program. And then well-being, we would continue to provide professional development for our police department. We would grow that police department so that we could maintain that safe level. But what happened was, uh, as we <laughs> launched the brand, there was a small group that um, was a loud group that called Fox News. And they came down there to do an interview with some of these ladies. And they said, the hall sounds like he hall. And they created a, a segment on Fox News in the evening and that just and they took a clip they did a good job editing I'll give it to them they took a clip from Hee Haw and stuck it in the middle of that oh, no. and then um, that small group went to one of the Waxhaw forum pages and spread it and said this town this they didn't know it was me or my company at the time they just said some agency branded us Waxhaw and they live in California they don't even know us and it spun uh. out of control and they got a petition there were a thousand people that had signed it but the, also the unfortunate thing is right when we were going to launch that brand, a hurricane came through town. Mm. And so our brand launch event was completely canceled. Um, we tried to do it again the next night, but the brand rolled out as a video online. And so I think the unfortunate thing about that is it, be, it went to the uh, social media trolls, right. if you will. And so it just mm. became this negative thing that spun out of control. And the disheartening mm. thing for me was that I lived in the community. So I'm seeing all these forums just bash it. and 
the first few mm. comments were so positive, but it only took one or two negatives and that it just spun it. And so mm. then nobody that was positive was, af- they were afraid to speak out. Mm. And it was very polarizing. I would say it was a very 50-50 because we got a lot of public comments in our inbox that were for it and then a lot of ones that were against it. And at the end, it was very much a 50-50 split, but it created so much turmoil and it was em- it was embarrassing, but it was also just heartbreaking for me, mm. you know, to work on this project for almost a year and roll it out and you're thinking, oh, they're gonna, this is so great, this is, we celebrate this, <laughs> the board is approving it, all, you know, everything is, it, we, had, mm. we had done a presentation to the um, business groups and they, standing ovation, like everyone was so excited. And so I think even as a team, we were just like shocked in a way mm, that what, yeah. how it spun out. And um, yeah, I ended up making a biggest newsmaker of 2016 for my awful, <laughs> I would say awful rebranding. <laughs> but it, uh, 90% of that brand is still alive and well and all the signage, all the colors, all the logos that we rebranded. We got an, a national award for all of our event logo design. We still managed a lot of the communications for the town and um, you know, we just don't say hall. That's you know, fine. it's interesting. Hall, yeah. Because anything of significance <laughs> typically gets blowback. Period. I mean. Yeah. Well, and if not, you're not pushing the envelope. Okay, enough I love that you said that. Yeah. I have a sign in my office that says, "If you're not, if you're making art that everyone loves, you're not trying hard enough." Yep. Uh, not that I want to create turmoil. I certainly never wanted to uh, offend mm-hmm. anyone, and I, I felt hurt that they felt like I would do it to offend mm-hmm. them, and I wasn't trying to rename the town, and that was never our, our, our motive mm-hmm. at all. Um, but you're right. I think that if you're going to do something, you're never going to get 100% buy-in, and that's something I've learned, and when we go into communities now, I always preface, like, you're not going to get 100% buy-in. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, not possible. If you're trying to please everybody, you're not going to please anyone. You're not going to get anywhere. Yes, so. exactly with business, too. Yep. So you think about when you said these brands go out there and they try to be everything to all people, yeah. you're not going to be able to have one mm-hmm. solid focus, the yep. jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none, right? That mentality is like, you just can't do it, and you're going to kill yourself trying. Mm-hmm. So You know, your story... Reminds me of something that Jesse Cole said in in a recent podcast that we did with him when they rebranded from the Savannah Sand Nats. I mean, can you get much worse than that? Let's just face it. And yet, there, yeah, the Sand Nats. I mean, sorry to whoever branded that, but... That was terrible, in my opinion. It's okay. Most people that meet me now, they're like, well, you're not part of that awful hall thing. I'm like, yes, I am. Pleased to meet you. <laughs> so, but yeah. He, he rebranded it to the Savannah Bananas. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, th- th- that's not necessarily the most fierce <laughs> of fruits and vegetables out there, but right, right. Um, nonetheless, and he had a purpose and he knew it, but what I thought was brilliant when he shared that was he, he briefed his staff like he anticipated yeah, this is going to be tough. Yep. He, and they had three days of staff training before they launched it. Mm-hmm. On all the negative calls and, and uh, whiplash that they were going to receive. They, oh, knew, wow. they knew it was going they to be bad. They knew it was going to be bad. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And- I would say, right. I mean, I look back on what, and we had those those feelings as well along the way. And it's, even though as much as we thought we were pulling the community in, there's obviously, you know, a lot of things happen in your community and you don't even realize it until you see it on a forum. Well, mm-hmm. I wish that people would be more involved early on because we would post surveys, but we wouldn't get feedback, you know, and you're just pushing mm-hmm. people to answer these surveys and be involved. And it's one of the things when we come to Newtown is that we're so cognizant of now of how much we can pull people in and how we do it. Um, which has completely changed our method. Well, the blessing of putting it out there and then getting rejection, yeah, that makes pain, you better. Right. It, it really does. And mm-hmm. I think the reason that 
that Jesse had the foresight is he was pretty open about like they try some off the wall crazy stuff and and he goes we have failed in so many ways but kind of like you he has this passion for creating an amazing experience for people you know and he has a, a pretty big why which is really cool but they had failed in so many things and so I think he kind of embraced it and realized you know he, he wasn't even welcoming with open arms when he came to Savannah and you know when they started doing oh, wow. crazy stuff I mean it's a wooden bat league it's not um, you know the uh, Major League Baseball it's a couple tiers down and and yet, and there, there was kind of this ho-hum embrace from the community, and now they sell out every game as sold out before. Like, it's hey, an amazing like story. Strong. I know, and yeah. it's hard because like, you don't know, and you've got to constantly remind your leadership, like, it's okay, let's just stay the course, stay the course. And I truly believe, and people might get hate mail for this today, but I truly believe if they embraced it and lived it and, and started really owning it, it would have it done well. Um, but I will tell you that failure is my favorite F word. Um, outside of the other one that I can't say on this, <laughs> which comes out often, but it, it truly is. I, I grew up and I was always terrified, and I did a lot of writing in college and everything. And I was one big thing was always failure. Oh, failure, failure! I was terrified of failure. I embrace failure like nobody's business because I believe that if you fail, you're learning something new. Mm. And if it's uncomfortable and you don't know how to do it, you're learning something new. And anytime I feel stagnant, I'm bored. So I like that fear and that <laughs> failure, and I'm okay. We can. How do we change it, fix it, and grow? It's it's fun now. Yeah. So failure in my. How opinion. how have you been able to do that? Because we've talked a lot about culture. How have you been able to do that in your business to talk to leadership, and actually have them embrace that too? Because it's one thing to do it for yourself and say, all right, failure, fear. This that's going to fuel me. I'm I'm going to be able to push through it. It's going to make me better. The brand's going to be better. But how can you convey that and get buy-in? from people where you're now asking them to be vulnerable. That's a good, so in the sense of a rebrand, like letting them? Yeah, so anytime when you're interacting with these with leadership and, and you're saying, all right, we're gonna push the envelope a little bit and it's it's not gonna it's be 100% buy-in. Right. How do you get them to be okay with that? Something came to mind when you said that, which I'm just gonna have to share because I have this saying at the office, I say it's only awkward the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Which can apply to anything, right? Sure. So I always remind them, hey, listen, it's going to be awkward at first, and then we're going to get used to it, okay? We're going to do this together. Yeah. We, we're going to guide you through this process. At no point in time are you going to be left out to the wolves. And one of our missions our missions is to make mavens of our peers and partners. And maven meaning connoisseur, expert, it means I'm going to make sure you have every ounce of knowledge that I have so that you can be a maven, right, in your yep. role. So I always make sure that we walk with our clients through the branding process. They have every tool they need to truly tell that story and they never really have that fear about them. I like to hope. Um, and we also track along the way how, how we're doing, how they're feeling. But we give them all the tools of the rollout internally, the training, the knowledge, and then as we roll out externally, talking points, holding statements, whatever they need to truly make that brand successful. Yeah. And, and a lot of times it is training. It's leadership training. It's how do I use this brand in every area of my organization. We're talking to HR and showing them how they can use it in their newsletter, how they can speak to their people. We're talking to sales and how they can use it. So I think if you do that the right way and use the Maven method, no. yep, that's <laughs> but, right. but truly that piece of it, that training, um, then you don't necessarily have that same kind of fear. And even though we are a little bit edgy, we also kind of 
pull back in a little bit so we use stats to prove why we've made a yeah. choice yeah. so we're coming to a board for instance and we're saying hey we chose red or green because 86 percent of your, of your respondents are choosing that you know yeah. so i think that helps create less fear yeah put some numbers and facts mm -hmm. behind it absolutely makes sense what about inside the business uh with that your team when you're trying to push the envelope in in your brand and your company not necessarily who you're helping outside uh, was that a sticking point with your employees to say, hey, we're going to push the envelope, we're going to get uncomfortable? I'm looking at my employee over right. there. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I think uh, it's funny. I, I feel like it's just known that I'm going to be crazy okay. and they're, they're used to it and it's vulnerable. Yeah. And I we're, think we're getting head nods. Yeah. Because so I, I, I would say, like, that I, I think that. I'd like to think, if you ask my employees what they would say about me, is that I, I love throwing every idea at the wall and every idea is celebrated. So they're just used to us pushing the envelope and throwing everything out there and then we whittle it down and as a team decide what makes sense. Um, and then I think you can only really do that if you're a vulnerable leader and if you put yourself completely out there. And I, I also like to say that we're different in the sense that I'm extremely transparent with them. We, um, I share all my revenue goals with them. They know what number we're trying to hit for the month. I don't hide it. I mean, aside from salaries, we share everything. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that builds a different team as well because I, I truly believe I'm building Haven Creative to pass it on to them. You know, yeah. it's going to be a part of their that that legacy. I'm right. taking care of them and their futures and pushing them through their passions. So yeah, you you mentioned Brene Brown a little bit earlier. Talk about being brave, vulnerability, transparency. You're hitting on a lot of a yeah. lot of what, what she talks a lot about. Um, I haven't even I, read a full book through. I'm sorry, Renee. I'm halfway, but I heard her speak, and that's why I feel really inspired. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Um, but those are those are superpowers in business because so yes. many people put up walls and they're not willing to get uncomfortable in mm -hmm. business. Yeah. Uh, how did you develop that? Because I really think that that's a skill that so many leaders just never even attempt. And they instead keep the walls up, stay where they're comfortable, put this big facade out there of being yeah. the, the tough leader. So how do you get vulnerable and how have you developed that transparency in your business? I think it's a conscious effort. You know, I think when you start out in a business, you have this tendency to feel like you have to control. Like who, you mm. don't want to tell anybody who your clients are and you're terrified of competition. And I, as I've grown in business, I get less and less concerned about what my competition is doing. Mm -hmm and realize that I'm creating a different organization and I'm only competing with myself in many ways to make sure that we're building the best product and we're taking care of our clients. Because if you get so focused up on what everyone else mm -hmm. is doing, you can't be the best at what you're doing. Right. And I think as a conscious effort, I said, how do I create a better team? Well, in order to do that, I have to have trust and honesty and I've got to, you've got to have those open, that open dialogue. And I just, think about that every time I make a decision I go let's do it as a team what, what do you guys think about this new hire I mean I pull my team in before we hire someone you know I'll do my one-on-one -on -one interview with them but then I pull the team in and ask what they thought and let them interview the person too it's very much a team effort um, but back to the Brene Brown I feel apologize to her but no there I've read <laughs> we'll, we'll let her know. I read right right I know like she's listening right, right. now right No, I've read like half of, of the dare to lead book and half of another book and it, because I feel like I have ADD I'm constantly reading a bunch of business books I have like stack of eight on my nightstand <laughs> but in that dare to lead I I felt was really um, poignant was that you have to be able to be vulnerable in order to leave lead effectively and um, I don't know. I think sometimes I do that subconsciously, but then there is a part of me that consciously makes sure I'm sharing what I know with my team right. so they feel informed. And Yeah, and, and more often than not, those types of lessons that you're going to take away from books like that 
are more useful than reading another business book, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to offer some different marketing strategy or here's a different way to hire. Just basic things that are going to be tidbits, but what you're talking about is much more macro, Mm -hmm. right? It's going to affect every aspect of your company. Yeah, and it's, they often say businesses go up and down based on the leader. Yep. And I try mm-hmm. to um, not let my fears and anxiety, and some days I might cry. Like I try <laughs> my best not to throw that out into my team because I don't want them to see that roller coaster that's always happening inside me as an entrepreneur. Mm. But sometimes having that vulnerability with them puts them on the same side as me. And I, would, I, I, I almost celebrate the fact that I think our entire team has an entrepreneurial mindset where if we're going to spend money on something, they're like, wait, should we spend money on that as a team? And they're, they're telling me, wait, is that extra? Do they, do they pay for that? And I love that about them because they're mm-hmm. thinking like an entrepreneur. Yep. And I think that they're doing that because I'm sharing so much of my fears <laughs> with them. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, they're actually in the battle. They're with in you. It. Yeah, yeah, we're in it in, in the trenches together. Yep. You know, you'd said earlier in the uh, this episode that it's very lonely at times, yeah, right? leading a company. And that's very true. I think that the, the most lonely position is the CEO or founder. Um, you know, oftentimes your spouse gets tired of hearing Oh, he doesn't it. want to hear it at all anymore, yeah. They just get tired, because it's a roller coaster and it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's terrifying at times and exhilarating the next time, but it's just up and down all the time. And then your team can't, you know, there's a delicate balance in that. Absolutely. Because they cannot feel every bump that you're no. feeling because they're just not necessarily built for it. Well, it's just like a parent, right? You don't want to show your kids, oh my gosh, I'm scared too. What are we going to do? Right. And then they're going to go, what, <laughs> mom, you don't know what we're doing? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. you have to have a fine line, right? There, it, there's a, and wisdom is needed. So you've talked about a couple mentors of yours and talk to us a little bit about how whether it be groups or mentors, because I think you've also talked about the EO Accelerator. Mm-hmm. How does that or some of those support groups help you get out of your head so that you don't feel lonely? Oh, man. it's <clears throat> And this is also why I'm driven to help other women and, and ben, anybody, men in business, um, overcome these things, because I think if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be where I am today. But my very first mentor in business was my father. And to this mm. day, I rely on him. I call him every single day. And if it's, it is just to maybe blow up about a client or something that's stressing me in the office or I want to just cry over something or I don't believe in myself. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, mm. right, the head trash comes in and he reminds me who I am, why I'm here, why I'm <laughs> doing this. And it's just giving me that, like, out of girl, right? You know, and he was the reason I have always pursued a passion, you know, doing, you can't put a price tag on doing what you love every Mm. day, right? So it's not about going to work for a check, it's about pursuing your passion and the money comes. And that has forever been my undercurrent. And Mm. I think I've I've followed business that way and not worrying about making money. And if I keep true to that, I'm happy. Um, And so he kind of reminds me of that too and just, Mm. you know, smacks it out of me when I, (laughs) over the phone (laughs) when I need it. Um, And you're right, those, there's a certain kind of vulnerabilities and fears that you can't share with your team. And I'm able to do that with him. And and like I said earlier, Mm. you, I have different mentors for different things I go through and that I turn to for different things. I think that's pretty cool to have a dad that you can call like that. I know for me with, when I've got two boys that are grown and when it, Anytime either one of them calls me and they feel like, oh, man, I'm sorry I'm dumping on you or whatever, yeah. 
I say that and, too. <laughs> and I go, it's so honoring to me. Okay. Uh, to hear, like it really honors me that um, I get invited in to that because I yeah. felt very alone on certain things too, and um, and I always felt guilty in calling my dad into certain things because he was also an entrepreneur. He was an educator, but That's, he was also yep, an entrepreneur. My dad, yep. And um, and I always felt guilty too because I'm like, you don't need to be carrying this, but there is something that is really special to be invited in to that. It's yeah. kind of a sacred place, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah, it's a good point. It's like another level of vulnerability that you know you're sharing with this person, but. Mm-hmm. I love that I have that with my dad. Like you said, he's an entrepreneur, so he understands what it is to bootstrap, start a business, and go through it. Um, but then I turn to different mentors that have been specific marketing agencies, or that I need help with yeah. hiring, firing. You know, just it's good to have all these people around you. Like I would say, your your brushes in your your toolbox, right? Just different ones you pull on when you need mm-hmm. certain support. And I I think it's very hard to be successful without that. I think we need that, just like we say, it takes a village to raise a child. I think it takes a strong group of mentors around you to help shape and mold your company. Yeah, and to your point too, that the vulnerability and the being willing to go ask questions to other mentors, mm-hmm. once you get past the fact that it's the roadblocks in your head, oh yeah, then it, it frees you, right? Because like in your situation, Gary, uh, when they're reaching out to you, you're honored by that. And a yeah. lot of times these people are, they're honored to be asked questions and now they're on the other side because they remember when they were first yeah. going through trying to figure things out on their own. It's so, crazy. So yeah. I, had, I, um, I had a dream and my grandfather came to you once and said that you are your only obstacle. And I truly believe that as mm. a business, like we are our only obstacles because if, if we could get past those head trash, those stories that we tell ourselves, anything is possible. And what's so amazing about having your own company is that you can design it the way that you want it to be. And I constantly, in the beginning, was struggling with, well, I have to do this because I have to make the revenue. And I'm, I'm like, wait a second, if I'm miserable working in my own company, I might as well be miserable working in someone else's <laughs> because what's the point of doing this, right? So if I'm yeah. miserable, I'm doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I just keep pushing on saying, I'm going to keep, you know, you, sometimes you have to fire clients that don't fit. Yeah. Sometimes you have to change courses and become a community branding versus this kind of agency um, because ultimately you want to be happy in your own company, Yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, so. if you were going to be miserable either way, you might as well not have the stresses of yes, also running a business. and get a consistent right? paycheck. Yeah. I mean, that's way easier, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go back to kind of one of the topics that's really a theme of this particular episode, which is, you know, creating a... A, a healthy culture, you know, like, and that's a passion zone of yours. Um, but you talked about the importance, like, w- a, a pivotal moment for you was defining your core values, mm-hmm. and and I'm totally with you. Like, I've seen plenty of companies that have the brochures, they have the websites with these things, and people don't know, and they're actually cynical about them because oh, they yeah. aren't lived. Oh, for sure. Or they have 18 of them, and they can't <clears throat> even know. They memorize exactly. them. Are you crazy? But I think that, you know, a lot of stuff in business, we overcomplicate it. But we don't take the time to do the important. Mm -hmm. And the important, like what you were talking about, understanding your why, Mm -hmm. which is why we start with that one question at the front end even. Because I think it's so doggone important. Uh But then understanding core values. And when you define that, and it's, it's very introspective when you do that, right? 
But when you do that and you bring your team in and they're the ones that are helping define it versus, hey, I've gone on a retreat and I've come back yes, and here and they are, y'all. We're launching these values. <laughs> yeah, right, Everybody exactly. get on board. Yeah, and I, it, that, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because I think a lot of times in, in corporate America or I don't know, in these business leadership groups, they're like, we're defining our core values, but they don't necessarily put a number to it or understand the why behind a core value and yeah. it does seem like just some kind of um, fluffy marketing exercise and a lot of times you're like oh that's marketing fluff I can't tell you how many times I hear that but when you tie it mm -hmm. to an ROI in the sense of turnover and you're reducing your turnover by 28% I don't know how much it costs you and each time you train an employee but I imagine to your bottom line if you have to constantly you know flip that person mm -hmm. over you are losing money because you're not investing in your people and your culture so um, Core values, to me, are much deeper, obviously, than, than putting some sticker on the wall. It really is how you should measure your employees. It's how you hire. It's how you fire. It's yes. also how maybe you measure up your clients. You know, if they come in and they don't, they don't relate to your core values in the sense of if, if trust and respect are part of your core values, but yet you allow a client that doesn't trust or respect you, what are you telling your team? Like, yeah, how is exactly. it okay to like have a client do that, but you're not going to accept it inside your organization? You have to live and breathe them. And another thing that I've learned recently is that you have to revisit those annually. Yes. You know, just because you put something up on the wall, and this, I have a great example of this because I'm changing one of my core values. This is the big announcement right now. We have a breaking core, news. Breaking news. <laughs> Haven Creative is changing core value. Um, I spent some time thinking about it, and I was like, "Wait a second, give back." Everybody has the term "give back." Our root, our core is all about community, so we're changing that core value from giving back to community because we do mm. give back to our community, but we also community is such an important part of what yeah. we do. But you should always revisit them. They have to be alive and well. And if I can stop someone in an organization, we go to do rebranding. If I stop them and ask them, give me an example of how you lived your core value in the last 30 days, and they can't give me one, it's not alive and well. Right, and that's a great question. I like that better than can you name, you know, no, what, what are your example. core values? Right, yeah, it's then like it's anybody kind of can repeat stump it. the chump, right? Right, it's, it's like not, I can sit here for ten dollars and repeat <laughs> the core values, right? right? Yeah, it's not really a core value if you're not living it. If you've gone an entire month and you don't have one example, it's it's not, not a core value, right? It's, exactly, it's just something up on a wall. Correct. Yep. Yep. That to me is the, the one big way to measure it. Yeah. You talk about measurability, and that's another important thing, which is really interesting coming from you as a creative person. You're the right. founder, but you're also a creative director, right? Right, right. Which is really cool, because again, that gets partitioned off into the fluffy category by the hard numbers CEOs, right? Yeah. But what's amazing to me is in the last few years in particular with ESG funds, you know, environmental, social, and governance, which is really, they are looking in publicly traded companies, and they have empirical evidence at this point now that prove that those with strong cultures actually outperform those companies that don't, right. which yep. is like, hallelujah. No doubt. <laughs> you know? No doubt. And without going into too much detail, I know for a fact we beat out our competitors in profit margin, and some of that is reduced turnover uh, actually a lot of it's reduced turnover yeah, true. Um, and it's comes down to salaries too I mean honestly if you're going out there and you're like I've got to pay four times the amount for this person even though it's not what the actual industry is saying that they should be because you're just struggling to get them into yeah. your organization you're expending more money on that end as yeah. well yeah at the end of the day you can put in bowling alleys in a and no offense to anybody that's got a bowling alley in their, sure, their but, firm but having people 
that are drawn to a why and a greater purpose and values that are, it's not that we're walking them perfectly, but that we are really intentional about those things. And we will fire an offender based on them or mm-hmm. and we will hire based on these criteria yeah, and you better do it too because else your people will not believe in you will exactly. not believe in those values yep. you're either creating cynics or you're creating loyalists mm-hmm. i mean quite frankly so i just think what you're doing on that standpoint is really cool and i love hearing that from a creative driven entrepreneur that also understands metrics also understands processes and you know even the fact that you didn't name this Buckholt Creative, right? Oh, how'd you, Buchholt. Or Buchholt, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Just a Siri, <laughs> sorry. Siri has trained me. <laughs> I know, Siri in the car. I'm Frey to Siri. It, uh, so my husband Frey. has a joke. He always says it's boo like ghost and cult like cult 45, but I wouldn't drink a cult 45, <laughs> but I'm just saying that's how you say it. Anyway, um, yeah, and, and you're right. I didn't I didn't name it for that, but it's funny. I named it for the street we lived on originally. I was like, oh, Haven, and then this, the corner of my house is my Haven. I can go sneak away and be creative. Okay, Haven creative. But I had this crazy vision as soon as we got that house that I saw it, and I saw it as an agency, but I, I don't know. I'm just big on vision and mm. <laughs> future. So I knew it was going to be something someday. Yeah, and I think even the the mavens, which I always thought mavens yeah. are female. Yes, I love when you brought this up. You're not the first person. <laughs> Tell me, yeah, you, you see that and you automatically think female. I know, and I think I kind of did too until um, I started talking about it. So Haven Maven, it rhymes. It's kitschy, right? We're marketing people. But maven really means expert or connoisseur, and we call ourselves the mavens. Um, you know, it's not male, female. In fact, we yeah. have a male, Mr. Maven, that just joined our team <laughs> two weeks ago. Um, but Maven, it's great because we can tie that into our mission. Like I said earlier, is about making sure that we're making mavens in everything that we're doing. Um, and we want to make mavens around the world. So I love it. I think that's a perfect way to, to wrap this up. Yeah. So Jenny, where can people find you and also the, uh, the company as well? Yeah, so we are Haven Creative Agency, and you can find us havencreativeagency.com. Yep. And then myself, I speak on, uh, the, you know, failure is my favorite F word, and my <laughs> awesome side of that. Um, so jennybucholt.com as Perfect. well uh, for speaking engagements and so forth. And it's Bucholt, not Buckholt. That's right, boo. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, thank Jenny. Thank you, guys. This was so fun. Much yes. fun. Thank you. Thank you.